What's up, Cyber and Crypto family? Hope everybody's doing good. Today is Tuesday, October the 15th of 2019. This is episode number 90 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. All right, so we got a lot to get to today. Uh, first, I want to start off by saying thank you to one of our listeners, Tim, that pointed out that my podcasts weren't working. They weren't playing from the either one of the app stores and podcast apps. So shout out to Tim for letting me know that so I could get out there and fix it. I believe it was only for a day or two, and I'm certainly sorry for anybody that was trying to play it. But we we did get it resolved for the most recent episodes. I still have to go back and, and tweak the earlier episodes. But I'm also going to archive a lot of the older episodes as well and make them available just on my website. But anyway, shout out to Tim. Thank you, sir, for doing that. So for the cybersecurity topics today, I'm going to talk a little bit about just kind of a sidebar topic, talk about privileged access management again. I'm going through a lot of the implementation phases of that, so I'll kind of share some of those experiences with you guys. Uh, we're also going to talk about a huge, huge stolen card, a stolen uh, payment card leak, uh, so we'll talk about that as well. going to talk about more Mongo databases, of course. going to talk about a vulnerability in Linux. We're also going to talk about more ransomware, folks that got infected by ransomware. And then we're also going to talk a little bit more about the SIM jacker flaw with SIM cards. So that's it for the cybersecurity side of things. For the cryptocurrency side of things, there's been a whole lot of news about Libra over the past few days. So we'll definitely talk about that and what's going on with that. Also going to talk a little bit about Ethereum's proof of stake. We'll touch on Telegram. Telegram, as you recall, was also going to release their own crypto. So we'll talk about that as well. Also going to talk about the Bitcoin halvings that's going to happen here pretty soon, where the uh, mining rewards are going to be reduced. Also going to briefly touch on uh, CypherTrace. That's the uh, blockchain analytics company. So we'll talk about that just briefly. And we're also going to talk about Ford and what they've done in 10 of their vehicles in regards to blockchain. All right, so we'll start with the cybersecurity side of things. And the first one here is the huge, huge stolen payment card. There was a apparently a kind of a black market site that was selling a lot of these credit cards that they'd stolen from various places. And unfortunately, that black market site got hacked and they stole every bit of those credit cards that they were trying to sell there. And it totaled 26 million cards. So that is a crap ton of credit cards that were stolen. I mean, that is that is crazy to even hear that number. The site was called Brian's Club and they got hacked pretty bad there. But, but man, talk about I mean, that's just a huge, huge leak. And I'm sure that the site that's uh, this Brian's Club site, you know, they were making money on selling that. <laughs> no, now they don't have any of that. So they'll have to figure out a new game plan to make some money there. But that was that was a crazy story. So you might start seeing some more credit card fraud here in the next few weeks. And if you do, obviously get a new card. But also one more reason to never use your debit card. All right, some other news here about Whirlpool. There's not a week that goes by that we don't hear about another Mongo database out there. Well, Whirlpool put a Mongo database unsecured 
on the web, of course. And this database was collecting information from all of their IoT uh, dryers and washers that were, you know, purchased by consumers. And all of them were apparently phoning home to this unsecured database. I guess, you know, you can say the good part of this. They're saying that only 48,000 emails were publicly available. That's really the only kind of sensitive information. Some of the other stuff that was out there on that unsecured database was their smart appliance ID number, model name and number, and different attributes of that make and model. So nothing too crazy other than it had the email addresses tied to it. Anyway, just yet another Mongo database left out there wide open. I don't know when people are going to learn. <laughs> All you got to do is lock it down a little bit. All right, some other news here about Linux. Apparently there's a pretty, I guess, some people are calling it a huge bug, but I've kind of read through it and I'm not sure I agree too much, but the famous command in Linux is sudo to get admin privileges. Uh, same thing on a Mac. So there's essentially a vulnerability in sudo itself. So basically what with this hack, you're able to, uh, let's say you lock down your Linux device that only, you know, certain users can, can use the sudo commands, right? Well, apparently this vulnerability allowed just regular users to use those sudo commands. So, I mean, yeah, I guess it's a pretty, I guess, scary kind of bug, but in order to exploit something like this, somebody already has to have some sort of access to that machine. And so if you've, uh, I mean, if you're hosting a Linux box and somebody's already in that far, you got other problems on your hands. Uh, privileged escalation is, is quite common, and this is just another way to do that, essentially. But again, you have to have already some sort of access to those boxes. Anyway, there's a new version that's patched, so go out there and update uh, all your packages. You should see the sudo update included in that, and the version number of that is 1.8.28. And I, I just updated mine. I confirmed it. It definitely got that new sudo package, at least on Ubuntu. Haven't tested it for others yet, but I would assume they're going to be the same. So I don't know. I just, yeah, I guess it's a big deal, but if somebody's already that far in, you know, you probably messed up somewhere else first. All right, we got some other news here. All right, we got some other news here about ransomware. Apparently one of France's biggest TV channels, it's called M6. They were hit by ransomware. And apparently it's the France's largest privately owned multimedia group. Uh, fortunately, none of their TV and radio channels suffered any downtime. So the thing they're saying the things that were affected by this are they're apparently they're I guess they use a voice over IP system because uh, you cannot make any calls and also their email is still down as of today. But M6 did say that they were able to contain it with the help of their cybersecurity team. So they they got on it pretty quick there. So kudos to them for that. But it still did take out you know some email servers here. It looks like and also potentially a voice over IP phone system that's preventing phone calls from being made. So that's just one instance of ransomware. We had another one. Pitney Bowes was the other one that also got hit by ransomware over the last week or so. And again, it's just one more person getting hit with ransomware. It's so hard to protect this kind of stuff because most of these come through email and these guys are getting really good. They're able to scam pretty much anybody and everybody with very legit looking emails 
and they're enticing people to click on things that you know they obviously shouldn't be clicking on and it's you know it's all it takes it just takes one person to open the wrong email and away you go so essentially this uh, ransomware attack did leave uh, access to their key services uh, down essentially for shipping and mailing so i'm sure they had some pretty upset people about that and of course the fbi had to chime in here and give everybody a warning that hey be on the lookout for these ransomware attacks come on man where you guys been it's not just a new thing here uh, anyway pitney bows is very very commonly used there's a apparently they got a about one and a half million customers worldwide so that's quite a bit of people that were affected by this potentially so again the, the protections for this this kind of thing are, are also very, very hard to do. But I think I said it last episode or maybe the episode before, but blocking anything from executing out of temp directories is huge. Anything out of especially app data, uh, the app data folder is under each user profile. It's a hidden folder. And if there's something executing out of that, it is typically malicious in most cases in those temp folders in there. But you may also want to restrict other temp folders. And the way to do that is you can essentially block all kinds of execution from those temp directories. You can specify the directories. Uh, so basically everything is blocked and then only allow very specific uh, programs to run. And you can do that based on certificates. Uh, and this is all configurable via group policy uh, if you're on a Windows domain. Now, if you're not on a Windows domain, that might, that might make it a little trickier, right? You may have to configure your antivirus software if you've got some sort of execution control in your antivirus virus software, you could tell it to not allow anything to execute out of those directories as well. So there's a couple different ways to, to go about that, but that's not the only way these things are executing either. So that's just kind of one piece of the puzzle that would potentially help. Uh, it's, it's of course not going to stop all of it, but the more protections you have in place, the, the less likely you are to get hit by something like this. So the other big one that I hear a lot is application whitelisting. And again, that's also done via group policy. And that is a, really, it's a great way to go for security in general. Um, application whitelisting is extremely secure. And if it's not in that allowed list, it would not run whatsoever. And very, very similar to restricting those temp folders. It's just restricting everything on the computer from running unless you specifically allow it. So there are a couple different ways there. I would say if you, if you really want to be safe, application whitelisting on the entire machine is probably better than just blocking the stuff out of the temp directories there. But let me warn you here that if you're going to do full application whitelisting on all of your domain computers, you need to get some sort of a baseline image. And hopefully you do have that. And hopefully that image is widely deployed. And you can take uh, that image and go find all the executables that are legit, get the file hashes, get the certificates, whatever you want to use to authenticate them, and plug that into your new application whitelisting group policy before you do anything crazy. And you also want to make sure you're testing it on a few people uh, just in case something gets blocked that shouldn't. And then you have to go update your group policy and it may not push in time. So a lot of what ifs there, but that's certainly a, a really, really good way to go. And if a ransomware file was 
downloaded and it doesn't have this specific certificate or file hash, it would not be able to run. But application whitelisting is a huge undertaking. Let me just say that. There's a lot to it. And you got to be very, very careful how you do it because there's so many little programs that you may not even know are running. And if you turn this on, it could block, you know, all kinds of legitimate stuff there. So you got to be very, very careful with this kind of thing. But it's certainly a great way to protect yourself. All right. Some other news here. I think we've already talked about this a little bit. There's been a couple of these SIM card flaws and hacks. Uh, The most, I guess, fairly recent one here is called the SIM jacker flaw. And they go into all kinds of details about how this is uh, done, yada, yada, yada. This one affects 29 countries and it does not affect the United States. So that's some good news there if you're located in the U.S. But this has been exploited in the wild to help uh, hackers bypass two-factor. They're not really bypassing it. They're they're getting your SIM card so then they can get the two-factor code and log into whatever service that needs it, right? So they're not really bypassing two-factor. They're just stealing it directly from your phone and your phone number. They're also saying that other people were uh, apparently getting their SIM cards jacked and pe- <laughs> the hackers were asking all of their friends and their contact lists for money. <laughs> So pretty crazy stuff going on there. But luckily, it's it's not going to affect anybody in the U.S., so that's good. But certainly scary to see that, and it makes me wonder if, if eventually it will start affecting customers in the United States. All right, so let's jump over to cryptocurrency. Probably the biggest news over the last few days has been Facebook's Libra crypto. And the, the huge news here is that just about all of the companies that supported Libra and actually created the Libra Foundation or Libra Association, excuse me, have now left the project. So companies like eBay, Stripe, uh, PayPal, MasterCard, Visa. I mean, there's there's tons of people that have now left uh, and no longer supporting Libra. So that right there is a huge blow to Libra in general. But they had a total of seven companies uh, withdraw from the Libra Association. And they will no longer be supporting Libra. And of course, regulators still are pushing back on Libra as well, saying it doesn't meet these various regulation requirements, so on and so forth. And they're saying because of those regulatory requirements, it's essentially what caused the mass exodus of Libra and all those companies leaving. And frankly, I don't blame them. You know, if it's you're getting that much pushback, I mean, what are you, what are you doing? You're just sitting there spinning your wheels and you could potentially be investing a whole bunch of money in something that will never actually get off the ground. So there were some other articles about Libra and some of the U.S. Congress people were saying that Facebook should just add Bitcoin to their platform instead of using a stable coin like Libra. I thought that was kind of funny. Others called it a catalytic event uh, for central banks and it would essentially shake up all the central banking and potentially even, you know, if Facebook's Libra gets that much adoption you know, it could essentially take over a lot of countries as their primary currency. So again, there's just a lot of ramifications there and, and they're still getting pushed back. So as of right now, it does not look like Libra is going to come to fruition anytime soon, but I guess we'll wait and see. But so far, I'd I just really doubt that it's going to go that far. All right, some other news here.
hear about Ford. They are introducing geofencing and blockchain to some of their cars. And apparently they're using blockchain to collect all of the emissions data from the vehicles. And apparently they're going to make this very transparent so everybody can see it. And it's going to be on a blockchain so everybody can trust it. So that'll be kind of cool to see how that works out there. Uh, but they've done this to apparently 10 different vehicles. It's still in a beta kind of program there, but pretty cool stuff there. So it's going to be able to monitor and even automatically implement fuel efficient driving modes. So that's kind of cool too. And so this is primarily to, you know, help show that, you know, any of these low emission zones, uh, you'll see a lot of this in, in foreign countries and whatnot. But I think even California has some stuff like this where, you know, they have these low emissions uh, regulations or zones where they don't want you to drive through and pollute like crazy. But that's basically what this is for. So they can essentially show and say, hey, you know, our cars are not polluting as bad as you might think they are. So that's cool stuff from Ford. All right, some other news here about CypherTrace. I think I talked about them several episodes ago, but they continue to grow. And now they've got over 700 cryptos that they can, that you can now search through via their analytics platform. So how does that make you feel about the privacy of cryptocurrency, right? It's kind of scary when you think about it. Most of these blockchains are public and anybody can read it. And now that you have an analytics platform, you could potentially see where all the money's going to and from. Now you may not know the actual owner of that money, but you could actually see you know, what paths it takes. And if, if these funds were stolen, you'd be able to see that as well. See what paths those took and all kinds of stuff. But they added support for ERC-20 tokens and uh, smart contracts and all that kind of good stuff. So pretty interesting stuff there. And there's very few cryptos that are private, that have a private blockchain uh, Monero is one that comes to mind. They don't publish that, and you can't see anything about anybody else's transactions. So that one is truly a private cryptocurrency. I do wonder if cryptos like Monero will get more adoption because of things like this and the lack of privacy that it looks like and appears like Bitcoin is going to have moving forward. All right, some other news here about Bitcoin. It's going to cut the mining rewards in half. So essentially, Essentially, when you're mining for Bitcoin, you get paid rewards for every uh, coin that you find. And now these uh, miners will be getting paid less. And a lot of folks are saying it's going to squeeze out all the retail miners. But who knows, really? Uh, this is going to happen apparently um, in May of next year, it looks like. And some of the people are saying that the Bitcoin price is going to go up because of this. And of course, nobody really knows, but they're citing previous Havings that have happened uh, in the past, and those did lead to pretty big price increases there. And it's interesting because you know there's less incentive to you know be in mining in the mining business uh, every time this happens. So you know especially with you know electrical costs and all those kinds of things, and now you're getting even less. Oh man, it's definitely going to bump some people out of it. So it'll be interesting to see how the the hash rate of Bitcoin as a whole will be affected by this. All right, some other news here about Telegram. So I've been reporting on Telegram's cryptocurrency that they're going to release. And apparently the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission also issued a, an emergency restraining order against the Telegram group and its um, subsidiary for their $1.7 billion 
token sale. And so essentially they're doing this to prevent it from being sold in the United States. So I'm I don't know how they're going to enforce that, but you know, it could be that they just, you know, sell it to all these other countries and and see how that goes, but apparently now they won't be able to offer it to US citizens. And the SEC was also saying that, you know, some people think that they can avoid the SEC laws just because it's a cryptocurrency or a digital token. And of course, that's that's not true if you're selling it in the US or, you know, anything like that. It's it's certainly going to be scrutinized by the SEC, especially if it's for any kind of investments. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out and see how Telegram can enforce that, if they can enforce that. And we'll see if they actually make as much money as they're they're hoping to with their initial coin sales there. Uh, the last thing real quick in cryptocurrency, Ethereum, as we all know, it's moving to a proof of stake. Uh, there's just been a lot of good things being said about that move to proof of stake. Uh, apparently it's going to really, really help the stability of the blockchain and all kinds of other stuff. So I'll post that in the show notes as well. But it's good to see that there are some upsides to doing proof of stake. And obviously proof of work is a whole lot of mining and takes electricity and all that kind of stuff, whereas proof of stake does not. Proof of stake is just you holding those coins in your crypto wallet and earning rewards off of that. So you don't have to run any kind of mining equipment or or anything like that. So anyway, proof of stake is going to be huge for Ethereum and it's definitely coming up next year. So I'm excited to see it when it actually happens here. It's going to be crazy. All right. And the last thing I wanted to talk about briefly was the just kind of the personal experience experiences with privileged access management. And I've been working on this uh, for several weeks now and uh, finally started implementing this into production. And I'll say it's been it's been pretty challenging to get it implemented initially. But if you implement it correctly, then it's actually going to work out quite well. Um, we, we learned some lessons at the beginning. Uh, the way you structure all of the accounts that are going to be used and going to be shared and what safes you put them in and all the permissions and all those things, it's huge to really lay that stuff out before you even start implementing a tool like this. Heck, even before you go into any kind of proof of concept uh, with that product. So lay out all those permissions, lay out all the different accounts that you're going to want to use with this tool and lay out all the permissions and all that kind of stuff and get everybody's sign off and everybody's blessing too from all that because that's going to be some huge changes for everybody. In some cases, we had to make separate accounts uh, just to use with this tool and so you know there's there's just a lot of work that goes into it right so that was kind of our biggest learning lesson there is planning all this stuff out prior to implementing it would have been much better on our behalf but hey you know live and learn and we're doing it kind of on the fly but luckily we're able to go in and retroactively fix all this stuff pretty quickly so it wasn't like it was the end of the world but we did basically have to re-architect a whole bunch of stuff after we'd already had it mostly implemented we had to go back and say whoa that's not working let's back out and, and redo a bunch of this stuff so that kind of sucked but nonetheless it's working pretty well and so far everybody's really happy with it and again privileged access management is a tool that essentially does exactly what it says right it's helping you manage all the privileged access all the domain admins anybody that has any kind of elevated access to your systems they can run through this uh, PAM system and essentially the the PAM system generates a new password for that account that that person can use to remote into a server 
server, for example, uh, that that password is only used one time. As soon as that person disconnects from that server, that password is then changed again. So the good thing there is that nobody ever really knows the password and any password hashes that are stored on the machines because everybody's password hash is stored on your computer. Every time you log in anywhere on the domain, your password hash is stored on that computer. That's just the way it is with Windows, unfortunately. So this kind of circumvents the risk there uh, by rotating those passwords so quickly. It's a one-time password, and as soon as they disconnect, it's changed again. So that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, one of the other big headaches that we had was some service accounts. Those are always tricky, uh, especially with permissions. And really, we just wanted to be able to rotate those passwords. But uh, there's a lot more legwork than we were anticipating with that as well. And there's a lot of permissioning issues when we initially set it up uh, in one of our test systems. And anyway, I feel like if we'd uh, sat down and planned out a lot more of this, we would have been a lot better off in the beginning. But, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks now, and we're, we're still moving along pretty well well and so far so good all right folks that's all i've got for today if you want to follow me on twitter i'm at cyber crypto guy at cyber crypto guy on twitter check me out on there i retweet a bunch of the articles we talk about here on the show thanks and we'll talk again soon